Good morning. I'm dimmed out. I'm brighter now. Good morning, good morning. We've been in uh, our first fruit series. Try to fix it, and you break it. Uh, We're in our first fruit series, and uh, on the screen behind you, you see kind of the emblem of of our theme this month. As we think about being disciples of Jesus Christ and uh, really giving our first and our best to the Lord who's given us everything. But I didn't explain that emblem. I hope it's self-explanatory, but that's a little seed that we sow. And then that's a tree that we grow. And then that's fruit that we bear. And that's really what we're talking about. You know, that life cycle of growing in Christ, deepening our devotion uh, to Him, and reaching high to give God our first and best. Uh, This week I read a chapter out of a new book by Tom S. Rayner, and the chapter was titled, Life is Short, Make a Difference. Life is short, make a difference. This is how it begins. It is a sin to be good when God has called us to be great. We do not refer to Matthew 28, 18 through 20 as the good commission. It is the great commission. Nor do we read Matthew 22, 37 through 40 and say, We just read the good commandment. It is the great commandment. And when Paul wrote the magnificent 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, he did not say love was one of the good things. He said it was the greatest of these. I hope you get my point. When we read in Scripture those things that are really important, The Bible speaks of them in superlative terms, like great or greatest. Superlatives. Superlatives, believe it or not, are applied to the church, applied to the body of Christ, applied to this humble church. doesn't seem deserving of superlatives, but they're applied. We've certainly seen this in Ephesians, in chapters 1 through 3 in particular. Attention to the end of the third chapter, verses 20 and 21, for just a moment. So if you have your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory 
in all the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Glory be to God in the church and Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ comes second or last because he's the more important. But the fact that the church and Jesus Christ are coupled together helps us to appreciate the superlative role that the church has in God's plan and the enfolding plan from generation to generation in the church. That power at work within us, displaying God's glory in us, His church, that's superlative. Jesus is building the church, and His aim is to use you and me. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 16 through 18, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, on his way to the cross, and he, he asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? He got a couple of various answers, and then Simon Barjona, Simon Barjona spoke, and he said this, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And to this, the Lord replied, I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell can't stop it. He gave Peter his name. Peter, in Greek, as it is a translation of Aramaic, which is what Jesus probably would have been speaking. He even called him Simon Bar-Jonah, which is Aramaic, is the word rock. Peter is a version of the word Petra, rock, in Greek, as it is Kephas in Aramaic. Jesus gave Peter a new name because of the declaration, the profession, the confession that Peter made when he said, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And he said, on you, Peter, I'm going to build my church. Well, he's building it on you too. It's not just Peter. He's speaking of the fact that it's in people. The people who declare Jesus to be the Messiah, the Son of God, who name him as Lord, that his spirit at Pentecost is poured out on and the church is formed. Paul used the same building imagery in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. He called the church God's household. He called it a temple being built together into a, he says, you too are being built together into this dwelling of God 
in the Spirit. So it behooves us to glorify God, to be a great church. But to do that, we don't have to be perfect. We just have to be devoted. Be devoted. There are three passages that I want us to look at this morning. I'd like us to read them together. So we'll have a Bible draw here just for a moment. That's an old uh, expression going back many years to uh, when they used to quiz and uh, see who could find the passage of the Bible fast. But I want us to look at Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 first. This is good. This is good. This is a call to be devoted, to be a devoted member of the gathering church. And then we're going to look at 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. This is a profile of a devoted church member, or at least I'm going to call it a profile. And then we're going to look at Acts 2, 42 through 47. And this is what we could style a sample of a devoted church community. So let's look at these three passages. I'm going to bring up the first one, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, a devoted member to the gathering church. Let me read it to you. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but of encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And now, if you will, turn over to 1 Peter chapter 4. I'll have a little bit more to say about each of these passages. This is better. Instead of just telling us, hey, don't, don't quit, don't neglect the gathering church. Now he's going to kind of, Peter's going to give us a, a profile here in these verses. Let's look at verse 7 and we'll read through verse 11. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Boy, that's a beautiful profile. And then here's an example of what's best. And here we see uh, the community of believers. It's a sampling of what's going on when we're fully devoted this is in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching 
and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. To be devoted, we need Jesus to be our Lord, obviously. But we need his vision, too. We need the vision that is his, is Paul's, is Peter's, the writer of Hebrews, the vision of the church. I didn't really have a very good vision of the church when I was a young man. And maybe that's your story, too. I have a very different vision today. Vision is important. Vision is almost like a dream. It was when I was in seminary that we learned about the early church and how God moved in the church, even as we read today. And the professor would say things like this, why can't someone here chuck their life plan and give their life to building the local church like this? Why can't someone here chuck their life plan and give their life to building the church like this? You see, that's casting vision. And I caught it. It caught me. Vision is the picture of the future, of what can be, what impassions and stirs people, what prompts them to go where they otherwise would never go. Vision energizes. Vision makes the heart race. Vision puts spring in one step. And I was seized by a vision of what the church is supposed to be through faith and devotion to Jesus Christ. That vision, that dream comes from Jesus. It comes from Paul. It comes from Peter. It comes from the writer of Hebrews. It comes from across the pages of the New Testament. And the hope of the world is not government, not universities, not corporations. It's Jesus and his church that God has entrusted the message of salvation, which truly changes people's hearts and lives, truly changes their hearts and lives. Empires, kingdoms, institutions, and massive companies have come and gone, and the church will endure. Why? Because Jesus is building the church. Of all life's great privileges, the greatest is when Jesus taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, I have a critical role for you in my work of building the church in this world. And I've been preparing you your whole life for it. 
How do you say no to that? How do you blow that off? People do. I've even met some who felt like they missed their life's calling because their answer to Jesus was, well, no, I'm building my own thing over here. Don't be that guy. Guy is neither male nor female. Don't be that guy. It just doesn't sound like right saying, don't be that girl. Don't be that guy. I remember a pastor challenging us some years ago to praying this prayer. It's a prayer that every devoted follower of Christ on earth should be praying. Lord, today I renew my commitment to your work as you build your church in the world. I commit all of myself to the role you've assigned to me in the building of your church. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? What if you and I were to pray that prayer for the next month? Can you imagine the kinds of things that might change in your life? What if the two billion people in the world who claim to be Christians prayed that prayer every day? It boggles the mind to imagine what would happen in the church and through the church in the world today. Jesus is tapping us on the shoulder, be devoted to me, be devoted to my church. Let's look at these three passages again. Whoops, that's not right. Cats, they just show up everywhere. (laughs) They have no... I was preaching in uh, San Francisco one morning, and it was a warmer day, and the doors were open. And right down the middle of the aisle walked a cat, all the way to the front. And my little daughter ran up and got it and hugged it and carried it away. I don't think there's any spiritual significance to that story, but I just thought I would mention it. I put this in the good since we're thinking of good, better, and best. This is always good, but what makes it good is that of the things that the writer of Hebrews exhorts us to do, exhorts us to engage in, he's trying to fend off something. Quitting the church, in effect, you know? Don't neglect. Don't abandon is probably the more accurate word. These exhortations in Hebrews chapter 10 capture, and they start at verse 19, they capture the heart of the argument and they kind of build on what he has been saying from chapter 4 through chapter 10, verse 18, about the work of God in Jesus Christ and how it transcends 
and even eclipses in importance what God had done in the old covenant under the old sacrificial system through the high priest and priesthood in the Old Testament. It is all now in Jesus Christ and through Christ we have access to enter the Holy of Holies, the very presence of God, something that no one enjoyed, only the high priest in the Old Testament, one day a week, even after special and intricate purification, was he allowed to go in as representative. But now we have this great representative in Jesus Christ. He's done it all. And so you see, it's, it's on this basis that in verse 22, he says, draw near to God with a sincere heart. This extraordinary privilege that becomes ours in Christ, where we can run in and, so to speak, interrupt the dignitaries and call Father, Daddy, and it even uses the word for frank or bold speech. We have this kind of access with the Father through Jesus Christ. So draw near to God with a sincere heart. And then in verse 23, hold unswervingly. This word is sometimes used in navigation. Stay on course. Hold unswervingly to our hope in Christ. Sometimes we become comfortable in our hope in Christ. We start to, oh, huh. And we're intrigued with the diversions of the world. And for a bowl of porridge, we trade our birthright in Christ. And so in verse 24, he says, encourage, prod, spur, stimulate. Of course, inspire one another. We should be encouraging one another. Because quitting is not an option. I read this week of something that was initiated a couple of years ago. It's called the Quitters Club. Their slogan, let's give up our dreams together. It was founded, by the way, this article was in the Washington Post, it's, it was founded by Justin Cannon. Cannon had quit all sorts of things, the article ex explains. He'd quit filmmaking, music, graphic design. He was tortured by the dueling forces of grand ambition and intense self-doubt. Most often, the battle left him frozen and despondent. At one point, Cannon expressed his growing exasperation. 
These are his words. I was like, we should have a group where people want to give up on their dreams. I was making a joke, he says. But somebody said, you know, that's a really good idea. And so he posted a note on Meetup for his new group, thinking he'd be forming a club of one, but within 48 hours, he had 35 people signed up. They responded to this pitch. Most of us have something special we'd like to do with our lives. At the Quitters Club, we can help each other stomp out those brush fires set in our hearts and get on with our lives. Well, at the first meeting, they met for two hours, and they went from one to another talking about and sharing their dreams and their discouragements. You could say talking about the dreams that didn't or hadn't and maybe in their minds wouldn't come true. At the first meeting, to their surprise, they ended up over those two hours encouraging one another to persevere to each one, don't give up, keep on going, keep trying. And the article ended with these words, they will meet again the following month to continue in their quest to help people quit. As it turns out, to keep on trying. The Quitters Club, where you find new encouragement to keep going and keep trying. The church is the Quitters Club. This is where you find encouragement to keep on going, to keep trying, to keep seeing the vision, the dream of what this is all about, to get your eyes off the world which will disappoint, will discourage, will make you despondent. You're leaning your ladder against the wrong wall and climbing to nowhere when you're founding your life, building your life, devoting your life to things that will never satisfy you, never fulfill you, never complete you, never have the meaning to you that you are investing in those dreams. When I went to San Francisco and it was the first pastorate, it was, it was discouraging. I was all alone. It was discouraging when people didn't come week to week. When you prepare that message and you're, you're trying to build into their lives what God is telling us is vital for us to thrive in Jesus Christ. And that's where I learned faithfulness. That's why, where I realized that in, if, if I just devoted my life every day, I could do no better than that. I could accomplish nothing greater than that. I could not have a more noble use of my time or investment of my life than to be faithful to him one day 
and then get up the next morning and do it again. And I realized that is faithfulness to the Lord. And God uses it. And because you can do no better, it is satisfying, it is contenting, it is fulfilling, and it brings joy. You know that in that day you have invested your life with meaning that counts. And when you do it in his strength and power, there's a vitality to it and an energy. And instead of mirroring what's going on in the world, you're a vital force to influence that world through Jesus Christ. And faithfulness became more important to me because I realized, even though it's still disappointing when people aren't there, I realized I'm going to be there when they need the Lord. I'm going to be there when they need the church because I'm faithful. Now, what if we, the church, were to be faithful like that to the world, for the world, to really be the glory of God, and Christ Jesus, the Messiah. That's what Christ means. Every time you read Christ, you got to think Messiah because that ennobles it. It's not his last name like Venema. It's Messiah. That's where the notion of Lord and King, because he rules. He rules in our hearts, and the world is to see that rule in us, but it doesn't. It seems that he doesn't count for very much. He doesn't matter very much. He's an afterthought. He's an attachment. He's a go-to when I need it. He sits in the kitchen drawer or hangs in the closet. And yet you and I have this power within us that can accomplish more and beyond all that we could ever imagine. What would it do if we started and realized we are pastors in our own family? We're shepherds there in our work, in our school as well as in our congregating together. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't stop, he's saying. Do you know what the issue probably was then? Persecution. The Romans were so very wary of unsanctioned gatherings. And when Christians got together, they really began to get nervous because they were afraid of rebellions. What's our excuse? There's no persecution. Let's get together. Through faithfulness, God will do things that you can't imagine, things greater than your wildest dream. Church is a good place for quitters. We might ask ourselves, am I gathering on Sunday to draw near to God? Do I get here early and prepare to worship Him? Am I keeping my hope fixed on Christ? Am I encouraging and inspiring others to love and good works? If we're inspired, if we are faithful to being engaged and exhibiting love and good works, we will be a spur. We will be an incentive. We will be an encouragement and an inspiration to others. 
Be, in, be encouraged this morning. I know I'm coming on strong. I don't do this that often. Do I? Make you squirm? I'm really trying to encourage you. Whoever died of encouragement? Whoever said, oh, God, I'm tired of that place. Just can't take all the encouragement. Let's look at 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. This is better. Be devoted. Here's a profile of a devoted church member. Look at verse 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. Pray, love, be hospitable, exercise your gifts as good stewards of God's grace, serve in God's strength to God's glory. That's, that's a five-point profile. Pray, love, be hospitable, exercise your gifts as good stewards of God's grace, serve in God's strength unto his glory. That, to me, is a well-rounded Christian. So this is gathering and serving. Gathering's good. But serving and gathering, that's, that's better. And look, notice what these uh, qualifications are, that the, the little qualifiers in here, here. The first qualifier is in verse 9, without grumbling. And the second qualifier is verse 10, a good steward of God's grace. And the third qualifier is in verse 11, relying on God's strength. In other words, we don't do this in our own strength because we'll fall on our face and we won't glorify God. We'll just, whatever glory's involved, it will go to us. We're to do this to music. <laughs> Here are, whoops, where are my cats? Bring in the cats. I, want, I don't know if you can see this picture very well. There's something going on here. In the top picture, the cat on, the, on your left yawns. In the middle picture, the cat in the middle yawns. And in the bottom picture, the cat on your right yawns. You know why that is? Yawning is contagious. <laughs> it is. You're, you're trying not to yawn with all your strength. But the point is, is that to be together is to have a contagion in which the Lord is working through one another in our lives to encourage and stimulate and involve us in things that are greater than ourselves. I can't count the times. I am so grateful, Shelley and I, when we were young, that we committed ourselves to weekly attendance in the church. Now, that didn't mean we never went on vacation or things like that. We have an incredible, we have more leisure time as a populace than ever before. But to make church a priority saved our marriage. 
to get that weekly tune-up. Every week there was something said that was a light, it was a light to my life. It was an encouragement to me. It was a spark to right thinking, and it struck down wrong thinking. We are faced with so much messed up wrong thinking in our world. And some of it is just downright. The things that are going on in the world, how are you going to defeat them? Not by moaning and groaning. I know it brings tears to our eyes. It is so sobering, and it makes us a bit despondent. But don't let it immobilize you. In the strength of Christ, be that difference. Be that person that sets a hope before other people that they will never be able to find in the world. That's encouragement that we also need together, that you're hearing about even now. You need it regularly. Just like we need to pray daily, we need to saturate our hearts, carry a thought, a verse with us in our minds to keep us attuned to the Lord. My mom taught piano. We had a baby grand in our living room. I, I learned piano. I was taught piano for seven years. Every good boy does fine. There. So, every... It seemed frequent, but mom would bring in a piano tuner, and he had a device, and he would tune that piano, not to its own standard, but to this general, if you will, international or universal standard. 100 pianos are not tuned to each other. They're tuned to one tuning device, and they are unified. That's what church means to you and me. His word, our gathering together, seeing God at work in each other and in our midst. You encourage me, and I hope I encourage you. That's what I'm here to do. That's a part of leading and inspiring. And then the third and best is to be a sample of a devoted church. And that takes us back to Acts 2, 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to God's word. They devoted themselves to fellowship, being together. That kind of fellowship that comes as we read, for example, in 1 John 1, 7. If you walk in the light as he is in the light, and I walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And that is the sweetest thing. When we're attuned to Christ, there's nothing like it. And you can go all over the world, and you visit someone that you've never met before, but in Christ there's a sweetness of contact. There's this brotherhood and sisterhood because we're of the same family and the same Lord. And they were devoted to the breaking of bread, which was being together not only around the Lord's Supper, but around the fellowship of the meal and the prayers, the prayers that mobilized the church. 
This is a description of a vital church in which they are thriving in ways, helping to meet each other's spiritual, social, and physical needs. And the world looks over and says, that's not a perfect society, but look how they love one another. Look how they forgive one another. Look at the displays and encouragements of mercy and care. This is what I want in my life. That is our corporate witness as the people of God. So yeah, I have a vision You could call it a purpose. Purpose is what adds meaning to life. Helps you to identify in your heart what is really of value. And that brings joy to be doing what counts. Not just in your book, but in his book. So I have a vision of the church, and that's what motivates me. Day after day and year after year for over 40 years. And when I'm reading and hearing about some people in ministry who are burned out and dropping off, my heart breaks. But I have as much energy, in fact, I have more energy. I have a bigger fire in my belly for what God wants to do through Grace Community, through us, and in this world, through his church, than I did even when I began because of the vision, the growing vision of what God is doing through his church. In 2005, I wrote this little uh, explanation of my vision, and I'm going to close with this. I have a vision of the greatest church on earth, not because it's the biggest, but because it's true, pure, and devoted to Christ. It's the greatest, not because of its buildings, but because of its faith, devotion, and honesty. It's the greatest, not because of its weakness in the flesh, and we are weak in the flesh, but because of its power in the Spirit. It's the greatest, not because of its sin. And we will never know sinlessness in this world. But because of its forgiveness. It's the greatest, not because of its might, but because of its mercy, tenderness, and gentleness. It's the greatest not because of its individuals, but because of its unity, its community in Christ. It's the greatest not because of what it is, but because of its calling. What it is is pretty good, but what it is is not good enough. A calling of the Lord keeps calling us to sow, to grow, and to bear fruit and to become more and more like the vision that Jesus Christ has for you and for me. It's the greatest church on earth because it's heaven on earth. It knows 
that not one thing it does here will matter unless it matters in heaven. And what we do here that matters in heaven will never be lost, but will live as we live for eternity. I'm committed to that vision, not because it's my vision, but because it's his. So, if I hear you saying, I've got to go to church, that's good. I hope you say that. I've got to go to church. That's good. And if I hear you say, I need to go to church, and I hope to hear you say that. I need to go to church because that's better. But if I hear you say, I get to go to church, that's best. I get to go to church. I get to be with the people of God. I get to be where there's encouragement. I get to, where all, get to be where all the quitters are getting new beginnings, new starts, new vision, new excitement for what God is doing in my life and in the lives of those around me and in the lives of those I love and can love through Jesus Christ. Will you stand? If God has spoken to your heart and you'd like to pray with me or members of the pastoral staff, members of our elders, deacons, their spouses, we invite you to come this morning. I hope the Lord has tapped you on the shoulder and said, hey, I've got something just for you that I want you to do in building my church, my work that's eternal. Will you be on board with me and help me in this enterprise? in my strength, my grace, to bless my people. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the vision that you give us from your word. The dream that is ours, that we know even now, as we live and love for you, we thank you in Jesus' precious name and all of God's people said, God bless you.